return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Guys, you just look like young ones, like college graduates, you know, and kind of. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we appreciate the calls, Becks. Their faithfulness, their love for God through decades, and and Deb's coming to share. Let's welcome Deb as she shares today. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for the honor of sharing the word, the privilege, and such wonderful people to share the word with. The privilege, it's a great privilege. And Father, we are just so grateful for your word, words of life, words that every single time we open it, every time we speak it, Resurrection life is released. Radiant health, the word says. Hallelujah. To the very core of our being, Lord, you release life. Relentless hope. Thank you. Thank you, you, Lord. And I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit today, tonight, that your word comes forth with clarity, with revelation knowledge in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I release fresh oil to you. I feel like there's somebody in here with... I'm here, I'm sensing, seeing tension. I don't know if we're, if it's in your body, in your muscles, if it's in a relationship. Sometimes there's a tension even between faith and fear. I don't know where it is, but fresh oil. I just release fresh oil to you in Jesus' name. Where else do we need oil? I mean, sometimes we just get a little inflexible. We get a little stubborn. Not None of you, maybe, but... little inflexibility, a little stubbornness. I was hearing the word callous. I mean, sometimes we just get hard. And may the oil just flow, right? Get rid of all the hardness, all the, the calluses we might have in our hearts. Thank you, Even in our relationships. Thank you, Jesus. So, um, yes, yes, life to you in Jesus' name. Yes. I'm going to share tonight about God's Passover lamb. It's, I know I have shared this one other time about two years ago. But it's a good message at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Because, just because. <laughs> so as you all know, so, bleh, Passover is the big glorious celebration of God's people being released from Egypt, from slavery for 400 years. Then they're released from slavery. They're delivered from death. The angel um, went by the houses, but the ones that had the blood, the blood of the lamb upon their doorposts, he he had to pass over. And so the delivering factor was the blood of the lamb. That's what granted them complete deliverance from bondage, and from eternal death. And it's yep. the same thing in your and my life, friend. Yep. 
We have been gloriously set free. Anybody who's born again, anyone who says yes to what Jesus has done, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. It no longer has power over us. And from eternal death. Amen. Glory to God. Are you still grateful for that? Uh, Hallelujah. It never gets old, does it? Glory to God. And it's all the same delivering factor is the blood. But this time we're talking about the blood of God. Passover lamb, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 explains that we were redeemed, meaning purchased. If you can see yourself on the slave auction where Satan owned you, he had his say over you. But Jesus stepped in and said, I'm buying her back. I'm buying him back. You were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, dot, dot, dot. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. And friends, that was actually a stipulation from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that that lamb, that Passover lamb, had to be a male and it had to be without blemish. Did I give you that scripture? Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year. It had to be. And so God's lamb is the same thing. It had to be without blemish, without spot. John 1.12, excuse me, John 1.29, when John the Baptist introduced Jesus of Nazareth to the world, he said, behold, like, take notice, friends. Come on, I want to get your attention here. What would he use? Cameras today? Lights bring in all the news stations. Here he is, God's Passover lamb. Hebrews 4.15 explains he was in all points tempted as we were. Every single. You can't mention a test that you're going through, a temptation. You can't mention one that Jesus didn't go through. He went through every one without fail. Without sin. So Jesus is God's Passover lamb of the new covenant. And it's pretty interesting to see how many similarities there are with Jesus as the Passover lamb and the old covenant lamb. Number one major similarity is that every Passover lamb was born in Bethlehem. Every single Passover lamb was born in Bethlehem. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I repeat, every Passover lamb was born in Bethlehem. Number two, always on the 10th day of the month. I think it's called the month of Nisan, if I hope I'm saying it right, in the Hebrew calendar, which is about the middle of March. Um, the 10th day was known as Lamb Selection Day. The lambs were brought from Bethlehem then, To Jerusalem, they all entered the city by way of the sheep gate. And then they were selected. The different families would select their lamb that they wanted to use. And the priests would select the lamb, lambs that they thought would just be perfect for this um, major sacrifice that's coming up on Passover. Now, if you remember Passover, maybe the kids, well, we don't have any kids in here. Who knows what day Passover was on of the month of Nisan? Anybody? It's the 14th day. 
Okay, so Hebrews, they all count differently, by the way. So if the 10th day was the Lamb Selection Day, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 was the fifth day. It just so happens that on the 10th day, Jesus came into Jerusalem by way of the Sheep Gate on a little donkey, which just happened to be, this this was Lamb Selection Day. Now, there just might have been a few people who already knew this and understood it, and maybe that's why all the coats got laid down. Maybe that's why the palm branches started waving. Maybe that's why they all shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But even if they didn't, God was making sure that there was a public acknowledgement that the lamb, God's Passover lamb, was entering Jerusalem on this particular day. Third requirement for any Passover lamb was what was, well, I don't know the Hebrew name, but it was an examination because it had to be without blemish. It had to be without spot. And so there had to be this examination going on. So these priests had to check out this lamb, these lambs, and make sure no black and blue marks, no broken bones, no infections. It had to be perfect. Jesus also went through an examination. He was examined by the Sanhedrin. He was examined by the Sadducees and the Pharisees and by the Herodians and the teachers of the law and Pilate himself. And Pilate's assessment actually defined how all of them came up with, although they still just lied. But what did Pilate say? John chapter 18, verse 38, after he examined Jesus, asked him all those questions, he said, I find No fault in him. None. So, it's okay, it must have been a, did I forget to give that one to you? Maybe. All right, fourth stipulation. At Passover time, everyone's houses were cleaned. Like thoroughly cleaned. Like an entire week before Passover, every woman and their kids would clean the house thoroughly. Like there could be no dirt. And the second big thing they had to get rid of was leaven of any kind, which is another word for yeast. One of the pictures I saw online, they actually had a bonfire in the, well, it would be like in our street, in, on the road, and everybody had to hunt down through the cupboards, through the drawers, any product that had yeast had to go into the fire. There could not be any leaven in the house. So Jesus also did a little house cleaning. In fact, um, Matthew chapter 21, if you want to look at it when you get home sometime, the first thing that happens in chapter 21 is where Jesus entered Jerusalem by way of the sheep gate, and the next thing he did was enter into the temple and do some house cleaning, and he turned over those tables, the money changers, and he said, get rid of this business. This is my father's house. It is supposed to be a house of prayer, and here you've turned it into a den of thieves. Um, The fifth similarity was that for five days, it was very important that these lambs were to be examined and on display for five days. Like I said, that means 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. We would call it four days in our English way of counting, but the Hebrews would call it five days. 
So it had to be publicly displayed for these five days. And then on the 15th day, which would be in our Holy Week, that would be Good Friday. The morning of the 15th day is when they would take the lamb to the altar and bind it, bound it, bind it, I guess we'd have to say, with ropes, and it had to stay there until the evening sacrifice at 3 p.m. The Jewish, the Jewish people always had the two sacrifices, morning sacrifice about 9 a.m., evening sacrifice about 3 p.m., and that is exactly when Jesus died, Friday about 3 o'clock. So if you can get a picture in your mind, I mean, I wish I could do lots of video things, but if you can see there's two things going on in Jerusalem that at the same time this day, because here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. We'll, we'll do this side. He's arrested during the night. There's this mock, terribly unfair trial right. where he's arrested. And all night long, they're examining him. The next morning, he is brought, led to Calvary, nailed to the cross, and in the very same hour, friends, here's Jesus on, at Golgotha at 9 a.m. In the very same hour over here in the temple, they're taking this lamb and they're tying him to this altar. And then Jesus is, is suffering drastically all day long. And at 3 p.m., he says, it is finished. It is finished. And at 3 p.m., they slit the throat of the lamb and he dies. And then they take the blood of this lamb and they sprinkle it on the mercy seat to cover for sins for one more year. This happened every year. Thousands of lambs have died over the years. But do you realize that, okay, what else happened at 3 p.m.? Does anybody know? The same hour that Jesus died, the temple veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. And never again were there blood sacrifices. Never again. Because Jesus' blood that was shed over here was delivered to the mercy seat of heaven by the Spirit of the living God. And to this hour, to this hour, the blood speaks and shouts for you and me that we have been redeemed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, and one more fun thing. Okay, the tenth day is our Palm Sunday. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 was Thursday when they they start all the Passover celebration. Then they killed the lamb the morning of the 15th. The 16th is Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath. And then day 17, according to Jewish holiday, I mean, the 14th is the Passover. The 17th just happened to be, just happened to be the Feast of Firstfruits. And there's a scripture. Did I give you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 20? Okay, the Passion Bible reads it like this. But the truth is Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruit of a great resurrection harvest of those who have died. Hallelujah. So this is just no accident. I mean, God plans all these details. He didn't come to completely dissolve and to destroy everything in the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. Yes, every single part of it. And so we, Jesus was the first fruit, and he's just the first fruit of many others coming 
behind him. Hallelujah. So uh, let's talk a little bit then about the significance of Bethlehem as the birthplace of God's Passover lamb. Um, If we could turn to Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come. We've come to worship him. Do we have verse 3 and 4? Well, let's see. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of these chief priests, of these scribes, where is Christ? Where is he going to be born? And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And he quotes at this point then, do we have the next verse too? Micah Chapter 5, verse 2, which says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Hallelujah. So, I don't know if you noticed, I mean, sometimes we can't tell, but it didn't take these scribes and chief priests and scholars days to figure out the answer it didn't take them weeks they knew it like right like that because this was such a famous prophecy every jewish scholar was well aware of micah 5 2 that said he's going to be born in bethlehem and other things about bethlehem maybe you know somebody very important was born there besides jesus King David, born there. He ruled the whole country. He was born there, and it's still to this day called often the city of David. Another very important piece of history happened in Bethlehem, and that is where Jacob buried his beloved Rachel. Uh, In fact, let's look at that scripture, Genesis 35, verses 19 and 20. It says, Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Very holy place yet for the Jews. They all want to go visit that. Verse 21, and Israel, who is Jacob, journeyed and he spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. Now you might find it interesting to know why did Rachel die? Well, she was giving birth to Benjamin who she called, let's see, I looked up the right way to say it, Benoni, which means son of sorrow. Jacob did not want his second son, the son of Rachel, to be carrying this name all of his life, son of sorrow. So he renamed him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. But um, how do I explain all this? So there's something very important in Bible Um, when you're studying the Bible, something called first mention. So whenever a word shows up for the first time, you want to always pay attention how it's used because it it tells you something about how to use that word for the rest of the time. So the very first time Bethlehem shows up is in this verse right here. 
out of 35 times it's mentioned in the Bible, this is the first time in relationship to the birth of Benoni, which means what again? Son of sorrow. The 35th time, the last time it's ever mentioned, is in the Gospel of Luke, then, when it explains that the man of sorrows, Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, was born in the same city. The man of sorrows, Jesus, who came to heal the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of our hearts. I mean, any grief that we have, Jesus already bore it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He's come to bear our sorrows, friends, and to dispel all the darkness. All the darkness. And Bethlehem, does anyone know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. It's kind of fun that the bread of life was born in the house of bread. Hallelujah. And Ephrata means fruitful. Maybe you remember Joseph had two sons when he was in Egypt. One he named Manasseh and the second one he named Ephraim, which means fruitful. And I think the way he said it is, God has made me to be fruitful in the midst of my affliction. Which, by the way, he's doing for you. I don't know what the affliction is you're going through right now, but he's, he's destined for you to still increase. To still have the favor of the Lord upon you. To still multiply and increase and be fruitful, even in the midst of your affliction. So in Genesis 35, notice the place where Jacob landed. If we could go back, here it is. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. Now there's a very famous collection called the Mishnah, where they recorded the entire oral Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. It used to be just all oral, so they wrote it down. This famous collection, they give the name of this particular tower, Migdal Adar, spelled M-I-G-D-A-L-E-D-A-R. It's actually a place, and it's 1,000 paces from Bethlehem. Now, somebody can walk that off and then let me know how many miles it is. I don't know. But this is what happened. Jacob then, after he buried Rachel, he took his whole, whatever you call it, entourage, his animals, and his family, and he traveled 1,000 paces, and this is where he set up camp. Migdal Adar, which is um, an elevated place in the area there by Bethlehem. They have a big tower there. And you can watch then and observe all the sheep in the valley below. And um, like Micah 5.2 is so renowned that everybody knows Jesus, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem. So Micah 4.8 spells out, according to Jewish scholars, exactly where Jesus, or excuse me, we know it was Jesus. But according to the Old Testament, they used the word the Messiah will first be seen. So look at the scripture here. But thou, O tower of the flock, in Hebrew right there it says, O Migdal Adar, 
the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto you shall it come even the first dominion or the first authority. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. For us, it's a little bit harder for us to understand, but just we just have to kind of trust that they knew what they were talking about. (laughs) Alfred Eidersheim, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth, says that just as Bethlehem was understood, like every Jewish scholar knew, that's where Jesus was going to be born, so every Jewish scholar took from Micah 4.8 that Megdal Adar was the place that Jesus, the Messiah, would first be seen. So this is a real tower, very close to Bethlehem, a thousand paces from Rachel's tomb. But it's not a watchtower for ordinary sheep. There were perhaps some ordinary sheep in the area, some ordinary shepherds, but Migdal Adar was a very special tower because the sheep that were taken care of right there that the little baby lambs that were delivered right there in the lower floor of Migdal Adar were specific sheep. Lambs that were raised specifically for sacrifice. Specifically for sacrifice. They used the male lambs, by the way, were all for the sin offerings and the female lambs for peace offerings. And these were not ordinary shepherds. They were shepherd priests. Levitical priests. They had several different jobs. I mean, not every Levitical priest did the same thing. Some of them worked in the temple and they had to keep um, replacing the wicks and the candle. And some of them put the, the bread on the show, the showbread on the altar. Thank you. <laughs> And some of them were assigned to be shepherds watching over these special sheep. Some of them were assigned to take care of the delivery of the baby lambs because they were very special lambs. They had to swaddle them with special cloths before they laid them in the manger because they couldn't be breaking bones. They couldn't be getting black and blue marks. They couldn't have something, any blemish, no blemish of any kind. So these shepherd priests were assigned a very specific task, and that was to deliver the lambs for the offerings. The shepherd priests had been trained to inspect and to certify the lambs born as worthy of sacrifice or to be released. Like, nope, that one has to go. Or yes, that one can go. And I think I failed to mention that there was actually a stipulation from the temple that said, the lambs had to come from no farther than five miles away, which just happens to put it at Bethlehem. And um, one other thing that you might want to understand is that there was a special room at ground level designated just for the delivery and the protection of these very special lambs. Selected ewes were brought here. I mean, say other people around the country said, hey, I've got this wonderful mama lamb, mama sheep, and he's going to have a baby, and I think you would, you'd really like to use this one. So then they would ship it, bring it to Migdal Adar so that it would deliver there in that place because the stipulation from the temple was it couldn't be born any further than five miles away. So it's common knowledge then for everyone in the area 
Everyone in the area knew that all Passover lambs were born in Bethlehem. I repeat, all Passover lambs were born in Bethlehem. And appears, it appears that Jesus, God's Passover lamb, was also born in this very, very same location. Now, after the baby lambs were born, the shepherd priests would wrap them, like I said. They would make sure that nothing happened to them. No blemish of any kind. Maybe you've wondered the angel's big announcement. I think I gave you that scripture, Jeremy. Uh, Luke chapter 2, 12. The angels appeared, and I know we've heard wonderful sermons how God chose to show up to the common, ordinary shepherd. It just could be that those weren't just ordinary shepherds that the angels appeared to. It just could be that these were Levitical shepherds. It doesn't matter. God still loves yeah. the lowest yeah. and the highest, and we're all very valuable yeah. in his sight. So here's the angel's announcement. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, you can read it from all four Gospels, but you're not going to find anything like, okay, to find the baby, turn right, turn left, go east, go west, go north, go south. I mean, how did the shepherds figure it out? It's because it was such common knowledge in the area that every when they're talking about swaddling clothes, da-da, the lights are turning on, like, oh, well, we know what you're talking about. Swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So they knew where to go. Hallelujah. This shall be the sign. You will find this babe in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It's kind of fun to think now that the angels that have worshipped this same Jesus for eternity, they get to announce to these shepherds where to find this baby. So in Bethlehem at this point of history, Migdal Adar was the place where all the lambs for sacrifice were born. And I know people have had all kinds of ideas, like they were born in a cave. Maybe they were. I'm not going to say they weren't. I'm just going to say the word of God never fails. And if the word of God says that the first place that baby's going to be seen is Migdal Adar, I know that that's the first place that that baby was seen. Now, um, Very possibly, in this very same manger on the lower floor, God's Passover lamb was born. And we talked about having to be certified, how they had to check this lamb over. And we have, I believe, the, one, the certification for Jesus came from the great shepherd himself. Amen. And that this lamb was, this baby, was salted and swaddled in strips of cloth and laying in a manger. Now, what do I mean by salted? Oh, I have to hurry along. Okay, there's a book by Kathy Lee Gifford called The Road, The Rock, and The Rabbi. And she is talking with this rabbi, Jason Sobel, who says that it was the common custom of the day. Can you show us that scripture? Did I give you Ezekiel 16.4? Okay, so this just shows you just a little bit. Um, As for your nativity, in the day when you were born... Your navel was not cut, neither were you washed in water to supple you, neither were you salted or swaddled. So these things just were custom that happened to the, every baby that was born in the Bible times. Every baby was washed in salt water. It got rid of bacteria. 
right? Yeah. It got rid of infection. Right. Now, I know last time I shared, I went at length talking about the salt, but I'm just going to take it really down to like 60 seconds here. Three things about salt in the Old Testament. One is that every sacrifice in the Old Testament demanded salt. You had to salt every sacrifice. Number two, salt spoke of promises kept, of faithfulness. To this day in the Middle East, many people use this phrase, there's salt between us, meaning we have a covenant, we have an agreement, we have a friendship. And thirdly, salt covenants usually happened either between two people who were very committed to be faithful to each other, who loved each other, or at least we're friends and we're committed to being friends. The other one happened between an enemy and a person who, well, they just weren't getting along, but they decided, you know what? We're going to change this. We're going to commit friendship one to another. And friends, that's the way it is with God and us. Because when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, in the book of Revelation, Jesus saw... Excuse me, John saw Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And this was always God's plan then to bring us into friendship with God. Um, Just let's briefly talk, if we can, about the swaddling of the baby lambs. Now, what did they swaddle the lambs with? Did they use rags? No. They had to be clean. Did they go to the goodwill and just pick up some old clothes? No. We are talking about something that had holy use. And this Jason Sobel, this rabbi, he postulates, well, yeah, he says that every Passover lamb was swaddled in leftover Levitical priest garments. The postulation is that Jesus also most likely was wrapped in Levitical priest strips of their old garments. Now, think about Mary. She gets, finds out she's having a baby. She's, by the way, about how old? 14, 15, 16, okay. Elizabeth is in her fifth month when Mary goes to visit her. I mean, she hasn't had a baby either, but can you just use your imagination and picture what's going on while these two women are talking to each other? Both of them are going to have their first child, Elizabeth's been around for a while. She might know a little bit more about how to get ready to have a baby. All I know is that I can kind of see them packing the bag. Hey, you've got to have some salt. Oh, she runs to the cupboard and gets some salt, puts it in the bag. You're going to have to have some swaddling clothes. Oh, what are we going to do for swaddling clothes? I know, says Elizabeth, we have the leftover My, my husband, Zechariah, just happens to be a Levitical priest. Go get one of his old garments, tear it in strips, put it in the bag. And it could very well be, because surely Mary knew, didn't you think, don't you think she said, this baby isn't just any old baby. (laughs) This is God's son. And hallelujah, it's just so exciting. So I know it's all speculation, but it's kind of exciting to think. This whole entire birth is God's declaration to the world. Hey, here he is. Here is my... Lamb, the lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world for you. I give him for you that we might be friends forever. I give you the bread so that you'll never be hungry. I'm giving you the man of sorrows 
who will heal your broken heart. I present to you the light that will never go out. And he will rid your life of darkness forever. I give you the greatest high priest ever who is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. And you know, for eternity, there's a whole lot of songs we'll be singing in heaven. Yes? About the king and his greatness and about the redeemer and about our healer and about our savior. But the song, friends, that will dominate heaven is none other than Revelations 5. Verse 12, verse 13, where is it? Let's just read the whole passage. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. We're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands. Look at this. 10,000 times 10,000 saying, verse 12, with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Friends, that's the song that will dominate eternity. Say it with me. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive the power and the wisdom and the glory and the strength. That is the song, friends, that we'll be singing for eternity. Glory to God. Father, thank you. Stand with me. Go ahead. Let's just praise him a little bit. Father, thank you for the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, for the blood of the lamb that redeems us, that transforms us, that heals us, that cleanses us, that redeemed us from the slavery of sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you you for everything you suffered. Thank you, Father, for your plan, the detailed plan to show to the world who Jesus is. And Lord, we give you glory. We give you praise. We thank you for everything you are and for the revelation of this knowledge today. Lord, may it change our lives that you are the one and only, that your blood sets us free, Lord. And I I ask, Lord, right now for your blessing upon these people. Let's just receive it right now in Jesus' name. Resurrection life transformation hallelujah 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 healing in our bodies lord thank you there's just nothing you can't do every one of us have needs right now and lord right now i release the answer to their prayers right now right now in jesus name the answer to our prayers praise be to god praise be to god Praise be to God. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So every one of you be blessed. Have a great week. A great week. Christmas will just have a little bit more um, joy, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Be glad to pray with anybody who needs some prayer. Amen. Yes. Glory to God, glory to God. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylifeatbrookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., also Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.